my name is Matt Holfert, one of the pastors on staff in our Cedar Rapids location, and uh, it's great to be able to be with you this morning. So I've been around church for a long time, and typically the Sunday after Christmas is the lowest attendance Sunday of the year. And so to be able to see a lot of people here uh, worshiping and, and singing and excited to dive into God's word encourages me, spurs me on, and so looking forward to doing that with you all. How many of you had a great Christmas? Show of hands. Anybody like me very sick over Christmas? A handful? Yeah, yeah, terrible. So I'm glad we are feeling better, which is good. But regardless of whether I am sick or healthy, uh, December is one of my favorite months of the year. Several reasons. Uh, first of all, it's Christmas, right? And so we get to remember the fact that God came down to us in the form of, of a baby. Emmanuel, God with us. And then he defeated sin and death and he rose again. And really it is the basis of, of our faith. And we also get to look forward to then his second coming. So there's the Christmas side of things. Uh, my birthday's in December, December 24th, Christmas Eve, turned 42, which is hard to believe. It's also my anniversary today. So I've been married to my wife for 18 years. Yep, pretty fun. Uh, some good times and some hard times, but overall just, just great wife, great family, su- super blessed. And it's also a, a new year. And so I find myself every December looking back on the year, kind of reflecting, how has God been faithful? How has he been at work? How have we seen him provide? Also, what's gone well? What hasn't gone well? What do I want to tweak moving forward? And so uh, I find myself every single year about this time, asking myself, like, what changes do I want to make? What goals do I want to set? I look at various roles that I have, a follower of Christ, a father, a husband, an employee. I look at other elements of my life as well, like my finances and my physical health and intellect and so on. And I like to set goals and I like to say, here's what I want the next year to be like. It's honestly one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I probably get more excited about this than the average person. I got four planners this year for Christmas, like I do every Christmas, and I get a like set those out every quarter and just like write stuff down and look forward to the, to the months and years ahead. Like I, I geek out over this stuff. Now, whether or not you do that as well, it's always good at the end of the year to reflect and to look ahead and to ask God, like, what do you want to be different about this year? What do you want my life to look like moving forward? And so with that said, we as a church want to pull over for a couple of weeks and just look at rhythms, or look at, look at spiritual habits that we have or don't have. And what do we want those to look like moving forward? And so we really do want to evaluate the spiritual habits of our people. We want every single person who's a part of our church to, to look at their spiritual rhythms. And be like, what are they? And should they be different? And how can I grow in these areas? And here's the thing. The people in our church individually will be stronger for it. But really, our church body will be stronger for it. And so today we're going to look at the, the habit or the rhythm of community. Now, when I think of habits or rhythms, I often think of like personal ones. So reading the Bible and prayer and fasting and solitude and rest and all those things, which are great things. And, and, and do those things. But if you're anything like me... I often think of like, what do I have to do and how can I grow? And if everything is so internally focused, you're going to miss out on one of uh, the most important habits or rhythms that you can have as a follower of Christ, and that is community. 
And so it's my hope today that, that as we dive into this, we're all challenged, we're all encouraged, we're all convicted in some way that spurs us on into this new year to make a tweak or a change when it comes to the habit or rhythm of community. So I want to say a couple things. Community, if you look at Webster or online, is defined as a group of people sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Okay, and so for our purposes today, our common attitudes or our common interests or our common goals revolve around the gospel. Okay, we're, we're followers of Christ. They, they revolve around God's word, what it says about us, what it says to us, and we want to kind of have a biblical worldview as a group of believers, okay? And so, so that's kind of where we're focusing today. That said, many of you think you're in community, but, but you're not. Like if I were to say, how many of you think you're in community? Just show of hands. Great. Um, there's a pretty good chance that at least one of you who raised your hand, the answer is you're actually not in true community. It's like, but, but I go through the motions. Let me put it another way. You could come to every single Sunday morning service. You could be in a connection group or a discipleship group or some other small group. You could be a member who comes to every single member meeting. You could have lots of Christian friends who you get together with day after day, week after week, month after month. All these things could be true, and yet you might not be in community. So we have to ask, like, well, then what, what is community, and how do you have it? Which is what we're going to do this morning. So dive in. We're going to look at Hebrews 10. If you have your Bibles or apps on your phone, turn to those quick. We're going to look at quite a few passages in the Scripture today, but the primary one's going to be Hebrews 10. So I will read here in a second once you flip there or open that up. Going to start in verse 24 and then read 25. So Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, in this passage, we see that we are to stir one another up to love and good works. Why We should not neglect to meet together. And we should encourage one another. Right, we're going to dive into each one of these and what does this actually look like. But it's also important when reading the Bible, like don't just read a verse or two and be like, oh, this is what it means. Like read it in context. So it's helpful to know like what's going on. What would the original audience of this letter have been thinking? What would they know? What would they have been hearing? And so the book of Hebrews, just kind of take a step back really quick was written to Jewish believers, right? And so these are people who were uh, former Jewish believers, and now, now they're like believing in Christ. And so they were familiar with the Old Testament law and people and customs and rituals, and yet they were facing persecution because of their faith. And so they would have been very familiar with Abraham and Moses and David and God's promises and the sacrificial system and the fact that you need some type of an intermediary or a mediator between God and his people. Like they, they would have been very familiar with this. But now that they'd put their faith in Jesus, they were learning about how he was the ultimate sacrifice, how he was the perfect sacrifice, how he was the one true mediator that allows access to God the Father. And despite that, life was hard. They were facing persecution due to their faith. And many of them were probably asking the question, like, is, is this worth it? 
Wouldn't it make sense to go back to the old way of doing things? Wouldn't it make sense to go back to what was familiar? Sure, it would be easier for a lot of them. So the author of Hebrews is building this case of why Jesus is better. He's saying that he's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Testament heroes. He's better than the old sacrificial system because Jesus Christ is the one true way to the Father. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect answer. Because of Jesus, there is no longer a separation between God and his people. And so let's look at Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, right? So, therefore, because of everything we just talked about, we have confidence to enter the holy places because of the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So when Christ was crucified and when he died, the veil or the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Symbolizing the fact that you no longer have separation between the holy of holies and everybody else. Christ paved the way to have full access to God the Father. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who's over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith. And our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So because of Jesus, we get to draw near to God as we see in verse 22. God's the prize. Through Christ, we get God. That's incredible. That should blow your mind. So now with all that said, let's read verses 23 and then dive back into 24 and 25. So 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Then back to our verses. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, verse 23 calls us to hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering. We are to hold on to the amazing reality that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus saves. Like, hold on to that. Remember that. Don't forget that. No matter what life throws at you, no matter if it's the best day, no matter if it's the worst day, hold on to the fact that Jesus is Lord and that he saves. And verse 24 then begins to show us what being in true community looks like. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is often a very overlooked aspect of spiritual rhythms or habits. We often only look inward. What can I do? What do I have to do? What can I do in the quiet of my house? How can I personally benefit? Read my Bible. Pray. Fast. Journal. Rest. Yes. Do those things. But we have to intentionally consider other people. We have to intentionally not only be consumed and concerned about what we can do for ourselves. We have to be mindful of what it might look like to stir up. Another word for that is like to incite or to provoke them to love and good works. Now, when I think of provoking somebody, I think of like one of my kids provoking another kid, right? And that's never like put in a, in a good light. But here provoking is a good thing. Pressing into somebody is a good thing. It's helpful. It helps other people grow. So once again, when I think of my 2024 
rhythms, my 2024 goals, right? Super convicted because everything is about me. Well, if I just do this and if I do this and if I can help myself by doing this, if I, and, and I just fail to look at other people and consider other people and what might it look like to be intentional in the lives of others. And so Veritas, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge myself to go against human nature and not only think of yourself. Think of others. We just spent the past few Sundays in our Advent series looking at what it looks like to focus on God, to turn our gaze and our attention to him and then other people. We read every single week from Philippians 2, right? Consider um, other people more important than yourself. Right? What might it look like if we honestly modeled Christ's example, who was obedient even to death on a cross? Verse 25 then goes on to say, in what context do we do this? When, when do we do these things? When we meet together, when we gather, when we're in community. You see, when Christians get together, we are to consider others, not just yourself, and we're to ask the question, what might it look like to stir these people up to love and good works? What might it look like to encourage the people around me? What might it look like to remind each other of the hope that we have in the gospel? What might it look like to continually have on our forefront of our minds and let other people know like why we actually have hope? See, a lot of Christians get together, which is great, but then it's just kind of small talk. Slippery roads out there, huh? How's the weather? See the football game last night? How was your Christmas? Oh, good, great. You got a prime rib, wonderful. It's great. I'm glad you're having conversations. Right, but can we go deeper than surface level? Can we actually care about other people enough to press into them, to stir them up, to encourage them? Not simply hang out and make small talk. You see, not only do many Christians not even think of how to stir each other up or how to encourage each other, but many Christians don't even gather regularly. Like this passage is also encouraging us to gather in the first place. And so the average Christian, this isn't just like the average Christian in New York or California. This is like the average Christian in Iowa and probably even the average Christian at Veritas Church, right? Comes to church two out of every four Sundays. You're like, that's half. That's not bad. Yeah, but like if you showed up to work half the time, you wouldn't have a job. For those of you in school, if you showed up to class half the time, you would fail, right? Half the time is not the greatest stat in the world. Unfortunately, church gatherings, Sunday mornings, take a back seat to lots of other things, to youth sports, to sleeping in, to other hobbies. Once the weather gets nice, to walks, to going camping, to whatever else you might pursue. And sadly, many people don't even prioritize gathering as a body on Sunday mornings, as sitting under the teaching of God's word, as corporately worshiping our Lord and Savior together. I don't want to revisit a couple of years ago, but um, I will. So uh, COVID was a thing, right? And I remember during COVID, 
every single church in America like upped their online streaming game, right? Different camera angles, cameras that like slid and moved, right? We even had people online who were engaging on Facebook and YouTube with people engaging on Facebook and YouTube. How's it going? Where are you from, right? Which was fine. But then I remember COVID kind of decreased a little bit and the threat of that, people felt more comfortable being out in public. And then months and then years went by and I was up at our sister church in Cedar Falls and I remember like, where's, where's so-and-so? And where's so-and-so? And, where? and even asking them like, hey, where, where have, have you been? Like, where, where are you? Why aren't you gathering? And some had legitimate excuses like, hey, this is going on or this is happening. But the majority of them were like, we love, we love sleeping in. And we love eating breakfast in our jammies and watching church on TV. In other words, we love not participating in, but we love watching from afar. You see, many people don't participate in the life of a church. Many people just simply are content to stay back at a distance and observe. And Veritas, it's my hope and my prayer that that is not you. I'm very thankful that you came on the least attended Sunday of the year. I'm very thankful that you braved the slippery roads. I'm thankful that you're here in person today. But is that true for the rest of the year? Like, do you prioritize Sunday mornings? If you don't, a very practical next step could simply be prioritize Sunday mornings. Be here. Corporate worship matters. Let's keep going. In addition to Sunday mornings, are you in biblical community outside of that? Do you have men and women in your life who you regularly gather with to open God's word together, to pray together, to do life together? If you're like, yes, I do, great. If the answer is no, a very practical next step might be starting point, launch point, getting a connection group. You're like, yeah, I, I do those things, which is great. Are you a member? Have you said that we value the local church, that I want to place my life under the authority of a local group of elders? I want them to lead me, to direct me, to pour into me, to speak truth into my life. See, if you prioritize Sunday morning services, and if you're in some type of connection group or small group, and if you're a member... Those are great. That's awesome. But remember we said that community was more than just checking a box or going through the motions. And so it is very possible that you can do all three of those things and not be in community. The question you have to ask yourself is, what type of person am I in those environments? When I'm here on a Sunday, when I'm in connection group, When I'm gathered with other believers, what am I doing? If you check all the boxes, if you go through all the motions, but your focus is simply on yourself and what you can get out of it, you are missing the boat. You're not practicing community. Remember, in light of the gospel, we know that life will not always be easy. We're going to have our ups. We're going to have our downs. We're going to have trials. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have times that we wish weren't happening. And in those times, we need to hold fast to the confession of our faith. We need to remember that Jesus is Lord and that he saves. 
We need to know what we're placing our hope in. What helps us do that? Like willpower? No. No. Being with other people who are encouraging us, who are spurring us on, who are challenging us in our faith. Go back to our verse. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This stirring, this provoking of one another to love and good works encourages us, helps us hold fast to the reality of the gospel. If I'm left to my own accords, like, good luck. Right? But when I have other people speaking into me and reminding me of what's true, that helps me grow, that helps me mature. In order to practice Christian humility, or uh, Christian community, right, you have to be others focused. It can't be all about you. When you're focused on others, you can encourage, you can stir up, you can provoke other brothers and sisters in Christ to love and good works. And if you're not doing that, I don't care how many boxes you check. I don't care how many church services you attend. I don't care how many small groups you're in. If you're not doing that, you are not in true community. You see, Veritas, Christians spur on and are spurred on by other believers. Let me say it one more time. Christians spur on and are spurred on by other believers. If when you gather with others, your conversations simply stay at surface level. If when you gather with others, whether it's a Sunday morning, a weeknight, for coffee or a walk with another believer, if in those times, it's just surface level, how you doing? How's the weather? What are you having for lunch? Like, you're, you're missing the mark. Gonna look at some other passages to, to reinforce this, right? First Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. Should be up on the on the screen. It says this. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. So, Christian, there are many guides. They can give advice, they can say the right thing, but there's not very many fathers and mothers. Not like biological, but spiritual. Church, we need spiritual fathers. We need spiritual mothers. Somebody who's mature in their faith and they can speak into the lives of people. People who are living life following Christ in a way they can say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, just like Paul did. Like, is that you? Are you maturing? Can you be a spiritual mother? Can you be a spiritual father? 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12 says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, Paul's describing how he took the call to be a spiritual father seriously. I am so, so thankful for people who are more mature than me at all points in my life to speak into me. Whether I was 15, like, Matt, you're being an idiot, stop that. Right? Whether I was 22, 30, 35, yesterday, 
Like we need people who are speaking truth into us, who are reminding us of what is true, who are pointing us in the right direction, who are saying the gospel matters and here's its implications in your life. Be that kind of a person. Do you speak into people's lives? Do you call out sin? Do you encourage people? Do you step into other people's messes? Often the answer is no. Why? It's inconvenient, right? It takes time. Don't want to offend anybody. A lot of people are like, I don't want to be judgmental, right? If you are a Christian, this is kind of a side tangent for a second, okay? If you're a Christian and you are spurring on one another, you are speaking truth to another believer, you're not being judgmental. You are being a good brother in Christ. You are being a good sister in Christ. Okay? 2 Timothy 2.2 And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Invest in others. Teach them the truth so they can teach other people. Like this takes time, this takes energy, this takes intentionality. But we're called to do it. Titus 2, 1 through 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves, too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, and the word of God may not be reviled. Men, women, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, like, are you living life in a way that would say to others, I'm actually following Jesus? Is your life an example to those around you? If you're younger, if, if you're more immature in the faith, are, are you listening to others? Are you humble enough to say, like, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. You have blind spots. Everybody does. I'm thankful for my wife who calls them out in me sometimes. Like even recently, she's like, hey, uh, you're not being a very intentional father. Hey, there are more things you could do to, to build up our marriage. My initial reaction, defensiveness, let me prove why you're wrong. Right? Uh, but I'm super thankful that she says those things. We need people in our lives who will say the hard truth. And you need to be the people in others' lives who will say the same thing. We could keep going with passages all morning, but I just want to share a few other, one another commands in scripture. So there's almost 60 one another commands. Like these things take place with other Christians. So when you're with others, do, do these things, be about these things. We saw one in Hebrews 10, right? Encourage one another. There's a few more I'll share. Pray for one another, admonish one another, serve one another, instruct one another, forgive one another, sing with one another, love one another, honor one another, build up one another, exhort one another, confess your sins to one another, and about 50 more, right? You can't do a one another without an another. Okay, community matters. Doing these things matter. And looking at these examples from Scripture again, my hope is that you can see how you can attend every single service. You can never miss a connection group. You can be at every single membership meeting. You can have lots of Christian friends that you do things with. But if you're not speaking into the life of another person, 
And if you're not humble enough to let somebody speak into your own life with a gospel lens, you're not in community. You can't just go through the motions. What really encourages me, though, Veritas, is that uh, we are, and I get to be a part of a church where this actually happens. Like, I am so encouraged as a pastor of this church by all the stories and all the examples of this actually happening in the life of our church. I get to meet with a lot of people throughout the week. I get to meet with a lot of leaders who meet with a lot of people throughout the week. And so I get to hear story after story after story. Not all of them are bad. A lot of them are good of God doing amazing things through our people. And so rather than like give you hypotheticals, I'd rather just share a handful of stories of things that I've seen the last 10 days even of people living out true community, all right? I got a text two days ago. Jeff, you were on this text. I think you even went and visited this person. But simply saying, elders, can a few of you go and visit with this particular person who has days, maybe weeks to live? It's like, that's pretty urgent, right? And then one of the guys who went texted back and said that they shared, so this person who has days to weeks to live, she shared the hope of her faith with us and reminded us that she wins as God is the prize. So here's a woman at death's door encouraging a couple of our elders in the truth and reality of the gospel. Like, that's awesome. She also said that she woke up to about 35 text messages from her connection group and Christian friends encouraging her, praying for her, and reminding her of what is true. Like, that's true community. Uh, unfortunately, there are several marriages in our church that are really, like, struggling. Not, like, normal marriage stuff, but bad stuff. Um, one of them involves an affair. Serious stuff. And I've been really encouraged by the men and women who are coming alongside this couple who are both loving them, caring them, and also saying hard things that they need to hear to them. They get text messages, face-to-face conversations, prayers, admonishment, encouragement. I get to see that firsthand in the last handful of days. Like, that's community. A little over a week ago, a guy was convicted of his sin, and he told his wife and his connection group that... He had been struggling with substance abuse for years and just kind of hiding it from everybody. Like, that's a big deal. But he has the courage to confess to others. His wife and his connection group come alongside him and promise to, like, help walk him through this. Now he's been sober for, like, 20-some days. I'm sure his connection group will be praying for him. They're going to be encouraging him, admonishing him, reminding him of how serious sin is, and more importantly, how God's grace is more than sufficient for this issue. Sunday morning example, there was a guy in Cedar Rapids who has a particularly loud voice. Like when we have 800 people in the auditorium, he stands out because of his voice, right? And uh, he's not the best singer, I'm just going to be, neither am I, okay? But he's not the best singer. Yet I honestly am so encouraged by the fact that he sings at the top of his lungs to God. He is in worship and singing, and I can hear him all the way across the auditorium. And I'm thinking, why am I not singing that loud? Like, if he can do it, so can I. 
I mean, here's, here's somebody who, who's just singing praises to God and he's encouraging those around him. He has no idea that he's encouraging me, but he is. A week ago Sunday, there was a younger teenager who was goofing off and distracting those around him. Common, right? Uh, but after a while, I saw another guy in our church, probably in his mid-20s, who knows this kid, not family or anything, but went over, put his arm around him, and had a conversation with him. I don't know what he said. But after that, the kid, like, wasn't distracting anymore and seemed to be more engaged. Like, that's community. Heard from a few of our Connection Group leaders that along with members of their group, they've been really challenged by the Advent series. Like, openly confessing, openly asking, hey, I'm a prideful person. Can you please pray for my humility? Can you please help me focus on God and his magnificence and less on myself? Pray for those things. Like, that's community. We get a lot of gospel shepherding requests where people are saying, I, I, I need help. I'm in over my head with anxiety or with my marriage or with my finances or with whatever. I'm to the point now where I want to humbly come before other men and women and say, can you press into me? Can you encourage me? Can you spur me along? Can you speak gospel truth into the situation? And then that happens. I mean, that's, that's community. You see, Veritas, life is hard. It isn't always easy. We got a lot of stuff going on in the life of our church. Trials, struggles. And through them, we need to be reminded of what is true. Through them, we need to be reminded of where our source of hope actually lies. We need to be constantly reminded of Jesus is Lord and Jesus saves. But sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes our focus and attention drifts elsewhere. We need others who will spur us on. We need others who will encourage us. We need others who will do the one another's with us and for us. And the flip side of that, you can be that type of person who spurs on, who encourages, who speaks truth. So no matter how mature you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how experienced in the faith you are, there will be times where you will have to be humble enough to let somebody else speak into you. Not be defensive, not try and justify, but just hear what others are saying. There's also going to be times where you see things, where you notice things, and you have to have the courage to do the same to somebody else. Like, that's what true community is. Once again, Christians spur on and are spurred on by other believers. Let's be that type of church. Let's be that type of body who lives out the one another's in Scripture on a regular basis. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are thankful uh, for fresh starts. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that we get to not only be molded and shaped by your word and your spirit, God, but that you use other people to do that to us as well. And God, you call us to be that type of person as well, Lord. God, I do pray uh, that Veritas, both locations, our local churches, that not only have people who prioritize the gathering, who come on a Sunday, who are in connection groups or small groups or discipleship groups, who are active members, who have Christian friends and acquaintances that they regularly gather with. Like, I hope that happens. 
But I also hope that on top of that, the conversations are real. That people are humble enough to say, speak into my life. What do you see? What do I need to hear? And that they have the courage and the boldness to be able to say hard things, to be able to speak truth, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to admonish one another. God, you designed this for community. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that actually does community well. In your name we pray, amen.